at that time, it was just so great to have a show with so many queer characters and to see like all these characters in community and seeing like the different dynamics between them. Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room episode ad free? Head on over to our Patreon, where you will get this episode and all of our episodes ad free. And you can see our video episode, including this one right now, where you'll see my beautiful face and the guest's beautiful face. Who doesn't love that? And I am so excited to announce that all of you can get a one-week free trial on our Patreon. Join the ITBR professor level and you unlock all of Mary's True Crime and Academia Patreon episodes, our rewatch show, including Queer as Folk and Smash. You can even listen to us dissect Scream and The Exorcist. And I heard, rumor has it, that we have an upcoming Fall of the House of Usher episode. And yes, even a Saltburn episode, which is going to be quite riveting. So head to patreon.com backslash ivory tower boiler room, join the one week free trial and see what you're missing out on. And while you're at it, please follow us on Instagram and TikTok at ivory tower boiler room, rate, follow and subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Thanks so much. And I hope that you enjoy all of our ivory tower boiler room episodes. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The holiday season may be behind us, but guess what's lurking around the corner? Picture that little baby with a bow and arrow. Yes, Valentine's Day is almost here. And I'm thinking of what gift can I get that my boyfriend will absolutely love and gush over? Well, he is a horror movie fanatic, so I think I have just the thing that he'll die for. Pun intended. My good friend Mandy Bangle is the owner of Mandy Made It, a craft company where she specializes in crochet and cre-cut handmade gifts. So whether your partner is a horror movie fanatic, I'm sure that they have a TV show they love. Maybe there's a book that they love. 
a music artist, a sports team that they cheer for. Mandy has you covered from shirts, hats, beanie hats, which I love to wear at the gym, car decals, beer and coffee koozies, keychains, stuffed animals, signs that you want to put all over your apartment. She is ready to create any customized order. So head to Instagram right now, type in at Mandy made it. That's M A N D E E made it slide into her DMS. And she is ready to start working on your order. Just send her a few ideas. You could say, Hey, my boyfriend really loves horror movies or Hey, my boyfriend really loves the Broadway musical wicked. I'm sure she will figure out some concoction for you and say that you heard her ad on the ivory tower boiler room because she's going to give you an exclusive ITBR free gift. She's also working on a new line of ITBR merchandise. So I can't wait to share all of that information with you. Make sure you mention at ivory tower boiler room when your gift arrives from Mandy. So I can share it out on our Instagram. I hope you all enjoy your gifts. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and welcome back to ITBR Rewatches Queer as Folks. So I'm so excited to be joined for episode nine with TQ Sims. Uh, so TQ is a writer, uh, writes about, um, it says, books, butts, and other gay stuff, which I just love. Um <laughs> on his Instagram, and he's the author of the new novel, Godspeed Lovers, which we'll get into a little later. Um, you can follow him at, at t.q.sims. Um, uh, so TQ, welcome to the Queerest Folk Rewatch show. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Uh, it's It's been a while since I've revisited this this show, which is, you know, sort of a mess, but still iconic to our yeah. queer canon. And um, it was really fun watching this episode and revisiting it. Well, and episode nine is called uh, Daddy Dearest Sunny Boy. Um, but Sunny Boy's in parentheses. So, um, <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of themes around, like, not only queer male daddies, but like a physical, you know, Brian's yeah, yeah. actual father <laughs> relationship. Um, so right away, we get uh, Emmett vigorously jerking off, and I think his screen name for this cyber sex space is Use. No, he's talking to someone whose name is Use My Whole 27. Yeah, um, his name and, is yeah. Pitts 9x6, which is like, yeah. you know, as we I come mean, to find out, a, a very much an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 9x6. That's massive. Yeah, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just thinking if it could be six inches around. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but my first thought was, how can someone do this with one hand? <laughs> I'm like, I don't think that actually is that physically possible. But who knows? You know, it, was, it was the days of, you know, AOL chat where you were using like the full keyboard you know it wasn't like grinder where we were just like with this tiny keyboard with our thumbs you know and uh i i guess i can uh confirm that it is possible to have a conversation with just one hand 
<laughs> well, did you find like how long ago has it been since you saw Queer as Folk? Oh, wow. It has been that era. So uh, like early to mid 2000s. Mm. Yeah, probably. Oh, so you saw it when it came out. I saw it when the um, the DVD of the first mm-hmm. season was released. My partner at the time bought it and, you know, he was like, I really love this show. I want you to watch it. And I remember watching it and even at the time thinking like, oh, this is like really melodramatic in parts. And, you know, it's really, really kind of cheesy in parts. And I think in the future, we're going to look back on this and cringe. But, you know, at that time, it was just so great to have a show with so many queer characters and to see like all these characters in community and seeing like the different dynamics between them. Uh, as I was watch- rewatching the show recently um, for this podcast, it reminded me of so many friends that I had at that time. And that was just like a really sweet takeaway for me. It's like this show, it, it is kind of like a little time capsule mm-hmm. for us. Well, do you think that any show nowadays has captured that same appetite or we're just in a totally different era mm-hmm. of LGBTQ representation? Yeah, I think we're in a totally different area of LGBTQ representation, especially with... Uh, with the trans representation that we see in shows like Pose. Uh, and I think there are some, some other really wonderful shows. You know, I, I, I kind of liked the Queer as Folk reboot that aired on Peacock um, or streamed on Peacock aired. I'm showing my age there. But uh, I thought that was pretty well done. And I don't know if there is a show out there that's sort of like a perfect time capsule of this moment because I feel like we're in this area or this era where the moment changes so quickly mm-hmm. and it's hard for a TV show to sort of encapsulate all of that. You know, we're so connected through, through social media and there's so much information coming at us and so many things change, even the way that, uh, queer linguistics change, it, it happens so much faster than it used to just 20 years ago. So I don't know if there's a show that encapsulates this era quite as much as this version of Queer as Folk encapsulated that era. Yeah, I, I do think that I'll agree with Pose being a really um cutting edge show that has been released recently but again pose is about the late 1980s or early 1990s so it's yeah like a historical piece um true 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 but euphoria has really captured like the young generation it's almost their degrassi yeah i haven't watched that so yeah i'll put it on my list yeah it's a interesting drug-induced high school show. Um, That's where it has that Degrassi edge of like very over Mm -hmm. 
uh, the top of dynamics. But yeah, so I love everything you're just saying about revisiting Queer as Folk. It's almost as if it was a cozy blanket of just memories. I mean, I don't want to try to guess your age, but I'm assuming, you know, you're not a millennial like myself. Uh, no, I'm 45 years old. <laughs> okay, so you're a Gen so, X. Yeah. Gen, Gen Xer. X. Okay. Well, to this group, 45 would be like, you might as well have like gone to the moon and not never returned. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think, is there anyone? No, maybe. How old is Michael's boyfriend in this? Like 40? Yeah, at least. Um, yeah, at least. So, and I think like at the time that was considered old, you know? Mm. And I don't think we we look at 40s in the same way as we did back then, you know? I mean, we see people like Jennifer Lopez, who is 50 and mm -hmm. looks phenomenal. And I have this conversation with uh, one of my friends who's two years older than me pretty often that we don't feel like we look the way we thought we would look at 45 or 47. And is that because our perception of that age was skewed for a long time? Or do we just actually look younger than, you know, 45 year olds used to look? Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. Or it could just be the work that doctors are doing is just so advanced. <laughs> could be, but yeah. I mean, we're, we're taking better care of ourselves. We know to stay Well, hydrated. we know more. Yeah, we know more about skin regimen and just- um, Exactly. Yeah, like the fit culture, the health, Health is talked about all the time. Um, so, okay. So Emma is, like I said, vigorously jerking off. Um, but then when this user says, can we hook up for real? Just th that fantasy element. Emmett looks so distraught. I mean, what did you think about the episode starting off with this cyberspace <laughs> fantasy with Emmett? I feel like, you know, starting off with the scene of someone like vigorously jerking off is like they're they're trying to get some shock value in mm -hmm. and i'm sure at the time it really worked um now it's a little bit cringe to just like start up with that uh i thought it was funny that as soon as the guy wanted to meet up in person and it was like nope logging out which is what a lot of guys on Grindr now do. So we we haven't progressed past that in 20 mm -hmm. years. We're we're still sort of doing that same thing where, you know, we we want the fantasy to continue. And if there's no possibility of that happening, we just sort of duck out. Yeah, I've been watching um uh The Fall of the House of Usher for an upcoming uh sh show. Um and I can't tell like, you how many people have recommended that to me. Oh, yeah. Well, definitely you should start watching. It's really okay, good. Um, I will. But there's this one character who, like, I don't want to spoil who it is, but she's like kind of the philosophical voice, I guess, the gothic voice. Okay. And um, she has this whole discussion about pure happiness or pure ecstasy. Um, it's always more exciting and invigorating right before the climax than when the climax happens. And I kind of mm. feel like this show really 
um, encapsulates that message, which is like with Emmett or like you, you said about fantasies, sometimes just that imagining is more powerful than actually physically being, you know, hooking up with this user or whoever this yeah. person is that Emmett yeah. eventually does meet. And, um, you know, we'll get into that, but do you think that's true that sometimes the fantasy, like as a writer, that what we love about arts and culture is the fantasy is sometimes just more, can say more than we can in the actual moment? I think, yes. Uh, I think there's a lot of layers to that. I think, you know, one of the reasons that we're attracted to a fantasy story, whether it's, you know, a fantasy of someone that we have as we're talking to them online, or it's, you know, a fantastical work of fiction that we're indulging in. I think there's a comfort and a safety in that fantasy. And then when it becomes real life, we have to make ourselves vulnerable. And mm. we're not always great at doing that. You know, it's very uncomfortable and it can be very painful. So, you know, maybe we want to duck out or maybe we want every sci-fi fantasy story that we read to be completely escapist and not have any reflections of our own world. But, you know, there's always that reflection of our own world. We're always holding up a mirror to ourselves anytime we're fantasizing. Uh, and we want to control the fantasy, but, you know, it's not always the best thing for us. You know, it, it really doesn't encourage uh, engaging in our lives as much as uh, just sort of embracing that vulnerability. Mm. No, so well put. I mean, I um, am in a new, you know, dating relationship, but with someone I've known for a long time, for 11 years. And a conversation that like I've just had with him is um, that we should be always anticipating to work through obstacles and that's healthy. Like knowing that it's like, sometimes he'll use the word, I'm gonna call you out Lawrence, but he'll use the <laughs> word perfect. And it makes me nervous because yeah. I don't like the word perfect since nothing is ever going to be completely, you know, idyllic and I'd rather like us just face reality but yes of course there's beautiful moments and Absolutely. right cuddling is beautiful um like those romantic intimate moments like working together but there's going to be conflicts with your communication style and yeah like you know we even you know we live about an hour and a half away he's in Jersey I'm on Long Island but I kind of do like at this beginning stage, the separation like mm -hmm. has me reflect on things of, wow, I miss when we were doing this together or, you know, but sometimes you think to yourself, should I, we be together all the time or is it okay to have some separation? <laughs> and I do think it's healthy to have a little separation. Are you a fan of LGBTQ plus books, plays, movies, TV shows? Well, then I have the magazine for you. It's called The Gay and Lesbian Review. 
The GNLR is a bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies. Each issue brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme, and it brings together the leading minds on the topic. So I just had on Dr. Richard Schneider Jr., the founder and editor-in-chief of the GNLR, for the GNLR's 30th anniversary. Happy birthday, GNLR. Dr. Richard Schneider talked about their special volume called Outer Appearances, More Faces from the Annals of the GNLR, illustrations by Charles Heffling. They cover current LGBTQ artists such as Harvey Firestein, Melissa Etheridge, Alan Cumming, James Whiteside, Alison Bechdel, and even David Sedaris, and of course, many others like Stephen Sondheim. There's even a supplemental issue that comes with your commemorative volume. And Andrew Halloran, the writer of Dancer from the Dance, he reviews a book called Morris about E.M. Farster's Morris, written by one of our ITBR guests, David Grevin. So we can't wait for you all to experience this beautiful 30th anniversary GNLR issue. Have you heard some of my GNLR interviews, including Dr. Andrew Lear's discussion about male-male love in ancient Greek society and Ignacio Darnad opening and blasting the closet door in the queer male art world? Well, Definitely make sure you listen to them after this episode. Head to glreview.org. Make sure you subscribe to their magazine. You'll see there's a section that says subscribe at the top. Enter the promo code ITBR50. That's ITBR50 to receive 50% off, 50% off any print or digital subscription. Enjoy your reading. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm really excited to talk to you all about one of our ITBR sponsors, Broadview Press. Broadview Press is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish mainly in English studies, writing, philosophy, and history. They are always publishing with an eye towards diversity, building a strong list of titles from women, people of color, and authors from other marginalized groups. If you haven't heard my Broadview Press interviews, you need to. Recently, I just had on Dr. Shannon Day, who talked about her book, Beyond the Binary, Thinking About Sex and Gender. And in the summer, I had on Dr. Jason Hold, who gave us all a comprehensive history of what it means to be a philosopher who studies sporting culture. And of course, we went back to ancient Greek literature, mythology, history to look at the roots of athleticism. And last year, I had on Dr. Jeffrey Andrew Weinstock, who's actually going to be coming on the podcast soon to give his thoughts on the new Fall of the House of Usher Netflix series. He talked all about pop culture for beginners. And Broadview Press is offering an exclusive discount because of our sponsorship. So head to broadviewpress.com where you're going to see such a wide range of literature. Use the code IvoryTower, I-V-O-R-Y-T-O-W-E-R for 20% off site-wide all of their books. Again, it's broadviewpress.com. Enjoy your reading. I do too. I mean, I, I think 
you know, whatever works for people, you know, if it genuinely works, do it. Um, but I do think having your own space uh, physically, mentally, emotionally is, is so important for any relationship. You know, sometimes I see couples that they, they seem like their lives have become so fused together that you can't think of them separately. Um, and I feel like with my partner, a lot of people that we know sort of project that onto us. And it often makes me really uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, I love my partner. We have a lot of beautiful things together. We have a, a really strong connection together, but we also have conflict. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's always in the background for me. And I can feel other people's projections on us at times and the expectations to, to sort of live up to this, this fantasy that people are buying into. And uh, it's, it's just not always real for me, you know? Yeah, well, and I think that in the show, David and Michael is a very fascinating case study to me. Like, I know I'm skipping ahead, mm -hmm. but because of our conversation, when Michael, it seems that he's having such a conflict because he, A, doesn't feel good enough education-wise. B, he feels that David's friend group is highly elevated or they're very well-traveled. They're talking about... Has he been to Italy? Has does, does yeah. he want to go to Mykonos? Um, and David really wants Michael to move in, and it's this very insistent message. But D and Michael kind of enjoys his space, so I do feel mm -hmm. there is, um, you know, a negotiation happening. But I kind of side with Michael not on the sense of him being lesser than these other people, because I don't think that's true. But I I do see where Michael's coming from with wanting his own space. Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. When is it right to move in? Like, when do you think it's right to move in with your partner? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you just sort of have to feel that out. And um, we see this really sweet moment in the show, which would not have happened if Michael had moved in with his boyfriend, you know, which is when uh, his friend, I believe Brian is his name, mm -hmm. comes over uh, and he's like all emotional and Michael, you know, tucks him into bed and snuggles with him. Mm -hmm. And it's like this really sweet moment of friendship. I mean, there's a little bit of that, like, will they or won't they, that, you know, a lot of dramas have, but, it's, it's this really sweet moment, which you realize would not have happened if Michael had moved in with his boyfriend. That's true, because um, there would be none of that, um, like, friendship dynamic of um, knowing Michael's available, um, or Michael even taking care of Brian. But that's also something that David is really peeved about is that Michael is holding out hopes for Brian to re rekindle a relationship or, mm. you know, take things to the next level, even though Brian does not want 
that type of relationship with Michael. So, right. Yeah. It's like, I feel David wants to take Michael away from Brian that way they can secure their, um, secure a bond or even like tell Brian, Hey, get lost. Like this is, you know, this is my boyfriend. And then eventually we're going to be partners together. I mean, do you see this with friend groups? Cause I feel that this is the, um, trickiest part really about having a relationship is how you know close are you going to continue to be with your friends like right ideally you hope to right. still like have your how much of your life do you actually like change like how much of your day-to-day -day routine and your uh uh social connections are going to shift and change in order to be with this person uh and i think that's what michael is going through uh when he's at this dinner and he he can feel people projecting onto him and he he feels like he's not good enough but it almost seems like he just wants any excuse to to get out of there hmm. you know any excuse to to get away from uh david even yeah and get back to his own space well what happens when he tells that one guy who <laughs> has made him uncomfortable, but then he basically weaponizes having slept with this guy who he says gave him crabs. And he's like, oh, that's where I knew, knew you from, that white party where you gave me crabs. Like, Again, what? he's like, he's trying to like create this out for himself. He's like, you know, the fantasy is too much. Like I need to duck out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he and wants to be kicked what out. I think he's doing. Yeah, he's yeah. like, you know, just feeling uncomfortable is not doing it. So I'm going to make everyone else uncomfortable. And then maybe, maybe then they'll ask me to leave. <laughs> yeah. Well, and David is putting, I mean, as this gets progresses, I think you already see it. David is really invested. Like I feel is willing to look past those tense moments to try to show that he really does care about Michael. Mm -hmm. I mean, David does seem like such a catch. <laughs> I'm like, he Michael, does. what like, are you doing? See, yeah, right? Like, what's the problem? He's he's very attractive. He seems like he, he wants to take care of Michael in so many ways. You know, like, what is the problem? <laughs> but sometimes, right, a person doesn't really, um, whether they think it's not the right partner um, or they just don't want to be happy, which I feel like Michael... I, I feel like he doesn't know enough about himself yet. Like you really yeah. do have to know, like you were saying about how a couple can meld mold together and you don't really know where one's personality begins and one where one one's personality ends. I think that a lot of that though has to do with inner work, like your inner work of knowing who you are, that, you know, you do have distinct personalities, hopefully Absolutely. from Absolutely. your partner. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like for me, that's something that I I am determined to to sort of like maintain and protect, you know, um, yeah. because it's it's taken me a long time to get to a place where I can cherish myself and really love myself and mm. to feel like that would just disappear into this union. Uh, that just seems like the most unappealing thing to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and then a lot of the um, pressure 
that I think Michael is feeling is that he's not going to be able to still hang out with these single gay men, which I don't, <laughs> I kind of don't understand. Like, I don't get why Michael's not voicing that to David. Like, that's my frustration because in a healthy mm. relationship, you would say, like, I know you have a lot of couple friends or like we might want to start having more couple friends in our group, but I still am not, not going to abandon my straight not straight, but well, they could be straight, <laughs> right. but I don't want to abandon my single friends. Like, yeah. cause you know, that's happened to me too. Like one of my friends started dating and then you really don't get to hear from them and they ghost you. And I don't think they're ghosting you intentionally, but they've fallen into the relationship. Right. They've, they've sort of shifted things in order to accommodate uh, this new relationship in their lives. And, you know, it always sucks to be on the uh, receiving end of that. Um, so yeah, I think, like you said, maintaining those relationships with friends that are single is, uh, it's kind of important, you know, just maintaining a sense of community. And that kind of helps us to, to not lose ourselves in the relationships that are romantic or sexual or however you want to talk about them. Yeah. And it might not be the same activities, right? Like Michael probably won't go to Babylon and continue to party all night, but <laughs> he'll meet Brian for coffee or they'll like go to the theater or they'll go to a museum or they'll just hang out and have lunch together or they'll make dinner together. Right. But is Brian really, that's where Brian, I think, comes into this teach you, which is, is Brian really ready to relinquish power over the kinds of activities he does with Michael and David. Right. Like, is he willing to now make peace with David and have dinner with them? Where I think he actually sees David as um, an obstacle and a hindrance. Like, why is Brian so annoyed with Michael's boyfriend? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just like the controlling aspect is one of the like key elements of the character that is Brian, you know, he wants yeah. to be more controlling over uh, the relationship that he has with Lindsay and Melanie um, mm. and then Gus, their kid. So, and definitely with, uh, I believe his name is Justin, the younger uh, guy who's living with him. Yeah. He, he definitely has this, this controlling element that he's, He's trying to to apply to like all of the relationships that he's in on this show, which is really interesting. Yeah, well, but his, like you say, his mask falls down because um, like when he's talking to Justin and Justin said like, you know, my father even though my father isn't accepting me, like he's still my father, I owe a certain bond with him. And Brian just says, forget about your father. Like, um, yeah. he's not there for you anymore. And then you can see, like we're on episode nine, but this is the first time Brian really has opened up about his father, like, or anything mm -hmm. with his family, because you can tell he's had a lot of pain in his childhood. You just don't really know where it's stemming. But now mm. we have a target, which is his father. So like, mm -hmm. you know, what do you make of this whole, his advice to Justin? Like just abandon your father, 
you know, even though we might be annoyed with Justin's father for not fully, ex- you know, embracing him being gay, can you really abandon your parent? I don't know. Um, are, are you asking me personally? <laughs> well, um, you don't yeah, have to I, answer personally, but <laughs> I can. I can ask. I can answer both. I think what what's happening in the show is Ju- Justin is like expressing this this thing that so many queer guys go through and is that they have been taught to expect this unconditional love and this connection with their parents. And then, you know, Brian's telling him like, you don't really have that. Like you need to wake up and, you know, you need to to get away from that fantasy and be in the moment and, and be vulnerable with it. And we see that Brian has done that somewhat, um, but in a way he has shifted the roles with his own father. You know, we see him later in the episode coming into the bar where his father is gambling and he, he gives his father uh, an envelope, which we, we presume is full of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think maybe they, they might allude to that in the dialogue as well, but we see that, you know, Brian has taken on the role of caring for his father, even though his father didn't really care for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's an interesting uh, dynamic there. Uh, you know, when he's telling Justin to forget about his father, but then he clearly hasn't forgotten about his father. Um, for me personally, like I, I don't have a great relationship with my father. And for a long time, I think I was more like Justin. Like I, I had this fantasy, this hope that, you know, there would be this deeper connection, that there would be this, uh, this interest shown in my life. And over the past probably five years, I've just come to terms with that's, it's not there, you know? Um, and I can put forth all this effort and this energy trying to connect with this person who clearly doesn't really want to connect just wants to tolerate me at the best, at the most. And I realized when I don't focus on that and when I sort of accept that it's just not there, I feel better about myself. Like I feel better about myself as a person. I feel like I can love my friends and my my family that I do have a lot more openly. Do you feel like you've had to, this is too personal, please. You don't have to answer, but do you feel like this is, do you, did you have to find a surrogate father figure of sorts? Like, did you create your own alternative familial connection? Hmm. I don't think so. I think, you know, for most of my life, I have parented myself emotionally. And I think I just realized that whatever I thought I needed from my father, I could actually give myself. Mm. And that felt really empowering. Well, and I think that's where Brian is when he comes off as egotistical or he's come off as narcissistic, um, 
he wants to be in control of his narrative and wants to be in control of his decisions. And a lot of that I'm assuming is because of rejection and his family not being there for him. Um, mm. But when he returns to see his father, um, it's almost, I mean, what's that saying about, um, like if you, like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing twice and expecting right. different results. I feel right, that that's right, right. a good example of what happens with Brian and his father is he really thinks that, oh, this time it's going to be different. My father's not going to ask for money. Like he's going to actually care about my life. But instead, like his father is just gambling. You know, he has an alcohol dependency and it's just the same cycle. Yeah, and he's asking him about girls. And, you know, it's, it's clear that he like, he doesn't really know anything about him. Yeah. And Brian doesn't really want to correct the record because it seems like his connection with his father is not that deep, like where he doesn't really need to open up yeah. about his sexuality. He just decided this is, yeah. you know, this is who I am to my father and that's enough. Like, but again, yeah. like you said, he does cry. And I think that that's a really important moment for Brian like when you said Michael's comforting him. And again, I think that's where the bond between Michael and Brian, they've known each other since they were um, in high school or maybe even mm. I think middle school. Um, mm. So like Michael knows the relationship Brian had with his father. And I think that yeah. maybe that's where they can't give each other, not that they have to give each other up, but like that David doesn't understand that complexity. But again, I do think in a healthy relationship maybe you should open up to your partner about why your friendship is so deep <laughs> yeah, yeah i think so like if you have a, a friendship that is you know really important to you i think your partner should should know about it and should know you know certain aspects of why it's important to you and why you feel that way uh i think that's that's key to having uh, a strong relationship is having someone who understands why your other relationships are strong. Yeah. So before we enter into the realm of the cyber sex again, just because this is such an interesting topic, you know, and with the title of our episode, um, the whole like sunny boy or daddy dearest, like, it's interesting to me that Brian, even with Gus, the baby, he's like, you know, um, we'll say Sonny Boy, like he repeats these things that his father, we then learn, calls him, but he's kind of huh. recreating a narrative of healthy father-son relationships in a way. Mm -hmm. And um, I just wonder, father-son relationships are so complex in my opinion. Um, and with like queer men, it's usually like a, Debbie is a good example. Like you get, that um p flag mom or like oh the mother always shows up and is supportive yeah. and like the father there's this complicated nuance with the queer son and the father i mean mm. you know my case is different like my parents are both equally very supportive and i'm very you know thankful for that um but why do you think father son it's just not even queer relationships i feel like even a straight son and the father there's just a lot of unanswered 
narratives yeah. in our culture about father and son relationships. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby. And when I'm not here on the podcast, I am consulting with small businesses, undergraduate students, graduate students, podcasters, and those in media. So if you're curious about the work that I've done with my consultation services, you could just type me in on Google, Ivory Tower Boiler Room, and you'll see a few reviews pop up. I've worked on college admission essays for undergraduate students. I've revamped and expanded a small business's social media marketing campaign right here in Port Jefferson, New York. And I've also worked on a graduate student's thesis for her physician assistant program. So if you want to seek me out or inquire about my consultation services, just email me. That's the easiest way to reach me at ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com. That's easy to remember. And tis the season for college admission essays, both undergraduate and graduate, thesis writing, dissertation writing. Um, do you want to create a podcast and you don't know where to begin? Media work, um, how to open a TikTok, how to start creating videos on TikTok, what to do with your Instagram, all of that I have done. So just reach out to me. I am here in Port Jefferson, New York on Long Island in one of my favorite stores. It is the Soapbox NY, a Bath and Body Boutique. I'm here with one of the co-owners, Janine. Hi, Janine. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Thank you. Good. So I know you have many winter scents to walk us through. So let's yes. get started. This is from company Michelle Design Works, another one of our favorites. Room spray that you can use any room in your house, just kind of freshens up the room a bit. Then what is this by Michelle Design Also Works? by Michelle Design Works is Winter Blooms, one of their new scents this holiday season. It's great. It's um, a hand wash. You can use it in your kitchen or your bathroom. And then here's and something to follow it up with. Exactly. It's a hand and body lotion. And then what is this beautiful decorative candle here? One of our favorites that we actually sell mm. all year round because it's so popular. This is the scent of Fraser Fur by Times. I think I'm becoming addicted to it. Yes. I think you are because you already own one, I believe. I own one and it is a decorative candle for me because I'm about to open it, but it's just in such I know the a beautiful is, package. I don't know what's better, the packaging or the scents. I'm using it wonderful. as a holiday decoration. So cool. I'll get to the candle eventually, yes, everyone. Well, but it's wonderful because with Times and their Fraser fur, not only do they carry the candles, but they also make it in the scents in the diffuser, in soap, the hand lotion, the um, the hand soap. It's just a great line and a great scent. So, Janine, how can everyone out there get their hands on your hand and body and even pajama products? Well, we'd be more than happy to see you in our shop. We're located at 18 Chandler Square in Port Jefferson Village. You could always call us to place an order. We're happy to ship to you. Our phone number is 631-509-1424. You can place an order on our website, soapboxny.com. And you could also find us on Instagram or TikTok at the soapboxny. So many options. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for all of you out there to just enjoy what I love so much about the Soapbox NY. So with yeah, that, thank you so much. Happy winter, everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's just the, the patriarchal experience.
expression or expectation mm -hmm. for a man to sort of seize their power. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think fathers are taught to expect their sons to step up and seize that power. And when they do, they can have this moment of pride. And when a son is queer, because of the societal projections onto queerness, the father can't see that son as stepping up and seizing power because he has already diminished, diminished their own son by thinking that by being queer, he is less than a man. So I hope that was clear. <laughs> um, it's kind I of think like so. working through the words. Okay, great. Um, so yeah, I think that's why father-son relationships are so complicated, especially for queer folk, is just because of the expectations that a patriarchal society puts on both queer sons and on fathers. Yeah. Well, and that's what I love about this series is you know, you get so many complex male emotions and mm. it's something that even though, like you said, there's, you know, overdramatic parts or campiness, it yeah. still is a really interesting introspective experiment about the nuances of male um, emotionality and just their mm. inter, their connected relationships with each other. And I don't think we always... Like, rarely do we see men interact like this in a TV show. I mean, there's entourage, but <laughs> I feel like when you yeah. have these male-dominated casts, they tend to be very patriarchal, like you're saying, or like the woman is the conquest, or um, they need the wealth and the power and the privilege. And I think that that ties to father-son relationships, which is men, for the most part, haven't been taught by their fathers how to show nurturing mm. and care unless Absolutely. it's in the realm of power and prestige. Right. Yeah. You know, or I, a father's, un yeah. 100%. Or a father's, un yeah. Like a father's unconditional love is you all hear that saying, well, I provided a roof over your head and food like that. That means love, <laughs> but you know, that's not love. That's necessities, which is great, but love is actually verbalizing and showing and, you yeah. know, I'm sad and showing you up know, emotionally, showing yeah. up emotionally. And, you know, I have that with my father and we do talk a lot about, you know, we'll even say love in our messages with each other. But my father also lost his father when um, my dad was, uh, I don't know, a late in middle school. I think so. Um, so I think my father also you know, is so committed to really showing up and yeah. us having that dynamic together. But, you know, I'm sad. Yeah. I'm sad to hear about your relationship with your father, um, oh. TQ. Yeah, um, I get that a lot. And I always say, please don't be sad about it because I'm much happier now. I'm, I'm really so much happier now. Well, you know, I think we like to um, believe that family... Like I always say, just because your family doesn't mean um, it's a healthy or 
um, a relationship that's going to empower and lift you. So yeah, you know, in your situation, you have a whole community around you that you've, you know, cultivated and it doesn't have to come from genealogy or bloodlines. I mean, yeah. So thank you for opening up about that. I think it's uh, yeah. Thanks, something thanks that, for holding space for me too. Yeah. But I think it's something that this episode really does well is the um, um, parental connections or even how Brian, like, what did you think about what Brian, his role is with, um, you know, Lindsay and Melanie, like how he sees his son, even though, you know, Lindsay and Melanie are, you know, Gus's mother. Yeah, Yeah, I totally got their frustration over that whole dynamic. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I guess we'll see how it plays out in future episodes, but I could totally relate to them. And it it broke my heart a bit to see um, Mm -hmm. Brian behave in that way and refuse to sign the adoption papers because that was something that, you know, he had seen that Melanie needed in order to, to, to be there for Gus. And like, that just felt like such a dick move for Brian. Um, So yeah, I could totally, totally side with Melanie and Lindsay there. Yeah. Well, and Brian doesn't decide um, that he'll refuse to sign these guardianship papers Right, like you said, Melanie can finally yeah. become a legal guardian to Gus until after he sees his father. So, like, I was interpreting it as I have a chance with my son. Like, this is my chance to right the wrongs of what I didn't receive from my dad. Like, I'm going to be um, the ultimate right. father, even though right. it's not that's, that situation. That's, what, though. that's kind of what was so frustrating about it to me. It was like he needed a document like a piece of paper to to prove that he was Gus's father even though that same piece of paper would prove that Melanie was not Gus's mother mm-hmm. and Melanie lives in Gus's house like she is caring for him Brian is not he's out partying he's obviously going to be that dad who like comes in every now and then and Melanie and Lindsay are okay with that so like for him to like not sign that adoption paper was just so frustrating to me. Yeah. So, so it's almost as if he's using Gus as an accessory. Yeah. Yeah. He's again in- exerting that control that he needs to have over every relationship. Yeah. Well, and like I do remember though when Lindsay and Melanie, they think that, um, he's going to relinquish that control. And they say, mm. Gus is finally ours. I did. And then they start to have very uh, passionate sex. And I thought that was an interesting, uh-huh. almost though it kind of did like, put them into this lesbian villainous comic role. It, like I thought they did. were like. And I, that That felt really off. Like, I, I gotta say that whole scene just felt really awkward to me. Um, mm. And not, because of the lesbian sex thing, which I thought was actually like the actresses really had a lot of chemistry, but there were a lot of really strange directorial choices with that scene. Like not only the line about Gus finally being ours, which like you said, seems so villainous, but 
just the way their bodies are angled on the bed. It's just, it was just a very awkward scene, I thought. Yeah, I almost thought it could have been Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn or something. <laughs> like, it was just very, like, it almost was this, uh, um, you know, cartoon villains. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it just, it didn't seem to fit with uh, the rest of their story. And then you had, like, that off-brand Melissa Etheridge song soundtracking their lovemaking, which was just, like, what is this scene? It seems like like somebody else directed this one scene and slipped it into the episode somehow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, even with all of that, I still give credit to the show that they incorporate such a um, central role to Lindsay and Melanie because there are so many men that like at yeah. least there is like a queer, queer female um, yeah, and perspective. I gotta say that those actresses they have a lot of chemistry like when they are kissing i was like wow mm -hmm. like this is this is kind of hot they're like really really you know really portraying two people in love engaged and connecting it was like they're really really powerful as yeah, actresses and the characters are really interesting yeah their arc is um very compelling um, okay. but I don't want to spoil it for everyone because right, things, right. <laughs> things start to happen with them that gets, uh, dicey. But I think you can start mm -hmm. to sense, um, like Brian is putting a wedge. I mean, I don't want to mm -hmm. throw Brian under the bus, but I think there's, um, just escalating tension happening. Um, okay. Absolutely. It's, it's so a then, good story. It's, um, it's, it is. it's keeping it is. us engaged. Yeah. Well, and Michelle Clooney, who plays, uh, Melanie follows, um the podcast and like is so excited about this rewatch show but i also like her and uh taya gill uh who's Lindsay. they're just their acting know. is on point um, it really is it really is yeah so whatever was happening with the villainous part i'm just going to attribute to <laughs> like you said a directorial issue or a script yeah, it, it could have just been a, a script that, issue that was a choice it was a choice <laughs> um maybe they did want us to think they're villains like Corella deville yeah. i don't know but hmm. the lesbian as a villain is actually a trope that we don't have time to get into but is a yeah. whole yeah trope that's a whole that thing happens. yeah yeah that's yeah whole thing. um so what did you think of the cyber world fantasy? Because I feel like this kind of, um, with Emmett, jumped into what I was thinking when I was looking and just enjoying your book, Godspeed Lovers, which is that sci-fi, like it did have this sci-fi fantasy of like erotic bodies and Emmett is, yeah. has this like invisible his profile comes to life. And... Right. His profile manifests as this like specter who's like taunting him. Um, yeah. And I thought it was interesting when Emmett kind of, he like goes into the world of online sort of. Um, and the way that they represented that was like, it was, it was okay for, you know, early 2000s. And yeah. I just really liked how everyone that Emmett saw in that world was like gorgeous to him you know it was totally like it's what we do we 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 project onto these these grinder profiles or these scruff profiles at that time i guess it was like an aol profile but you know we project like these ideas of who this person is you know we create this fantasy and then 
if we do meet up with them in real life, they are different, which we see in the show. Um, but just like in the show, like even though they're different, that doesn't mean we can't have a good time. <laughs> Imagine that you're riding the Turner Classic movie, Great Movie Ride, in Hollywood Studios. It's in the 1990s. As you're journeying through the Great Movie Ride, you pass the Wizard of Oz, where all of a sudden you see the Wicked Witch of the West ascend into Munchkinland in a cloud of smoke and flames. Well, that's the memory I have with the Great Movie Ride in classic cinema when I was at Disney in the 1990s as a young boy. And ever since that, I was hooked on classic cinema. Well, my friend Christian Garcia, friend of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, has a podcast that you all are going to love. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema. And he looks at queer themes in classic cinema, like Vertigo, The Wizard of Oz, Sleeping Beauty, Mary Poppins, 101 Dalmatians, Hello Dolly. The list can go on and on and on. So follow him on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. You can listen to his podcast on Apple and Spotify. And he also is on the premiere episode of our Queer as Folk podcast, where I'm re-watching every episode of Queer as Folk from 2000. And the episodes come out bi-weekly. So make sure you listen to his episode with me. And he's launching a rewatch show of Smash, where they're putting on a Marilyn Monroe musical. So he's going to be joined by co-hosts, a lot who are in the Broadway and theater industry, and I'm going to be on his first episode. So without further ado, get listening to That Old Gay Classic Cinema. Enjoy. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Or have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie. In addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog. So you can see all of this on glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Remember, you get 50% off your subscription of the GL Review magazine when you use the promo code ITBR50. That's 50% off your print or digital subscription when you use promo code ITBR50. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, Visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of their homepage. And if you have any questions, email Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I feel that um, having met so many, like including uh, yourself, TQ, like I knowing you from like the Instagram world, um, right. but then like having these in-depth conversations, mm -hmm. I always find it so refreshing to like dig deep and mm -hmm. like there isn't just that fantasy image of 
uh, what our photographs say about us. But you're right. I think yeah. that we do that on social media. Some people really fall for the spectacle of social media, but there, you know, is a heartbeat to this person. Like this yeah, is not absolutely. just fantastical images, but sometimes people just want that like Emmett. He wants right, the fantasy you know? of these profiles. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Like it's just doing that with awareness, I think is the key to uh, being happy in those realms. <laughs> Not, not becoming attached to the idea of a person and actually embracing, like you said, the complexity of a person, yeah. the heartbeat. Yeah. So was there anything in this episode that, um, you know, Godspeed Lovers is written, but like, was there anything that you took away that seemed compelling enough that you would like um, use it as inspiration or would want more from a certain plot point or dynamic going on you know when the episode started and i saw that it was going to be about fatherhood like <laughs> of course like all these like complex feelings come up for me because of my relationship with my own dad um and one of the main characters in godspeed lovers like me has a uh, a bit of a traumatic past with his father uh, and he is learning to to grow from that trauma instead of just sort of dragging it around with him and putting it in a place where like it kind of keeps him from connecting with other people. Uh, so that was something that came up for me quite a bit in this show. And uh, even with the Emmett's uh, sort of engagement as a daddy in a sense um mm -hmm. and just just wondering you know where in my own life i have done that or uh as you said tried to find a uh a sort of proxy father in in community so that was really you know some of my takeaways from this specific episode yeah but like in your book your protagonist casey um yeah you know, is a loner, but like that all changes when this, yeah. um, you know, when Oscar enters the picture. So um, yeah, it changes. Uh, he, he has a traumatic past and he, he's definitely been closed off to the idea of loving someone, but that all changes when he meets Oscar. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like for the future of these storylines in Queer as Folk, like who do you think, um, do you think that Brian, Michael, um, I mean, I actually, every time I return to this uh, show and I'm like talking with a new guest, I actually think oh. that Justin, even though he's the youngest, is actually one of the most, like knows his voice. <laughs> the best in terms of what he wants. Um, hmm. Like he just has this, I think it might just even be that rebellious nature that we get with him. Um, like he's going to do what he wants artistically, but who do you think is going to have the um, most drastic art as a character from what you saw in this episode? From what I saw in this episode, it seems like Brian will. 
to mm-hmm. me. I mean, they're, they're setting him up as someone who is so controlling that, you know, I see him in later episodes sort of relinquishing that control in order to, uh, to open to love. So he's not, he, he doesn't have such a tight grip on people so that he can actually open up more. So I think it's going to be Brian who has yeah. like a, a very, I think he's going to have a very satisfying arc. I mean, I hope all the yeah. characters do because they're, they're really well done. They're really well done characters. Yeah. Well, and I think we're all thirsting and eager for vulnerability from Brian. <laughs> like we want, we exactly. want the mass to continue to fall. So I think him just, you know, how upset he was seeing his father just is the is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, it's just the tip of the iceberg. And I think the mask is not only going to fall, it's going to crumble. He's not going to be able to put it back on again. Uh, I think, you know, yeah. I and I mean, that's he's one of the central characters. So like that makes sense to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll see where that all goes with, you know, episode 10. But (laughs) I want everyone out there. So TQ, you know, how can they follow you? Like I mentioned your Instagram, but I know you also have a link tree on your Instagram. So where can they get their hands on Godspeed Lovers? Yeah, um, I've got it right here. So you can see the gorgeous cover, uh, which was done by Joelle Luna, my friend and uh, incredibly talented artist. And you can buy this at theloversuniverse.com. It's also available on most online booksellers if you want to get the ebook. Uh, follow me on Insta or TikTok at t.q.sims, S I M S. And uh, yeah, find me, stay connected. Great. Okay. Well, also, yeah, I saw it was on Barnes and Noble. So, Godspeed Lovers yeah. is anywhere books are sold uh so (laughs) this has been great and again right when you come and sit down you never know complexity of death of emotions but something always (laughs) pandora's box is released um yeah right on yeah yeah thanks for uh thanks for creating this space where i could talk about these things and you know i i think it's really really great that you're bringing on lots of different authors and artists who uh can connect this uh really important work in our queer canon to to what they're doing right now so like i really appreciate that andrew thank you thank you well and it might be part of my uh manifesting <laughs> queerest folk as a musical eventually <laughs> you know maybe a play I, maybe a play I'm there. i don't know i'm there <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there are, like, Babylon could have some really interesting numbers. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, TQ. And everyone out there, make sure you follow TQ on Instagram, t.q.sims. And yeah, I'll be in touch with you, TQ. And until next time, everyone, until episode 10. Okay, bye, TQ. Bye, Andrew. Thank you.